Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators podcast. I am Charlie, and I'm joined today just by Haley. We've got a Charlie and Haley special today because Miguel's out on vacation. <laughs> How are you doing today, Haley? Yeah, just by Haley. Sorry. I mean, the mo- I'm joined by the most important host of the show, yeah. the wonderful Haley. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm doing great. I just pressed down on my French press, so I have a nice, warm Ooh, satisfying pot of you know, cup of coffee in front of me. So you know, and it's it's hump day, so I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, well, I hate that you said hump day, but I'm excited that you're here and that you have your coffee. Do you not like the word hump day? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes. I, I feel like I need to know more about this. What's is that? I feel to me it invokes thoughts of like, um, you know, people who are in the movie Office Space. It just feels like something that like cubicle workers <laughs> say like, oh, it's hump day, you know. <laughs> Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's my thoughts on that. That's fair. But today um, we really enjoyed the episode we did. I think it was two episodes ago now The about the thousand true fans where all of your future belongs to creators podcast hosts read an article and we discussed it. And um, it was fun. It was like a book club without having to read a whole book. Instead, you're just reading an article. Yes. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to discuss an article in The Economist that was titled uh, The New Rules of the Creator Economy. But it's all about how platforms like social media platforms, but also things like Spotify are changing as with this rise of creators and the rise of the creator economy. It's been really interesting to see, yeah, just the impact that creators can have. And this article, I don't know for you, Haley, but for me, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of new in it, but it was a really good summary of a lot of the changes we've been seeing lately. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I don't know if there was something that I walked away with being like, oh, Oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know this, but yeah, it was a great summary, but I'm curious though, for the, for anyone that's in the chat, um, if you'd post this at some point, how you describe the creator economy, I actually, Mm. I was interviewed by, um, some of the team at Stripe a couple weeks ago. And one of the, the questions that she asked, she was just like, so I, the creator economy, you know, like it's kind of a confusing term. And, and what does that mean to you? Um, and it was just like an interesting question because I don't necessarily feel like there's this great definition around what actually the creator economy mm. really is. So I don't know, just a thought. I'm curious uh, for anyone who's in the audience, if you have a really good definition or the way that you describe the creator economy, how would you describe it? Let us know. Yeah. One thing I'll do right now is just post a link to the article in the chat. So if anyone um, watching didn't see my tweet before we went live, because I usually try and tweet um, about what our topic is going to be uh, in advance. So you can come prepared and have done your homework <laughs> if you want to. I'm, I'm, I'm still working on Twitter, so don't look to me for that. <laughs> I know you are. I tagged you in the tweet, um, but you probably didn't see it. <laughs> no, I'm working on it. Okay, I'm working. And uh, for anyone listening to the podcast, like... After the fact, we'll include a link to the article in the show notes as well. Yeah. But yeah, should we start with overall thoughts? What is what is the main thing that it got you thinking about or like, I don't know, the part that interested you most in this article, Haley? Oh, gosh, probably about how someone is willing to buy you socks for $10. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe we should touch on the fact that, warn you before you click on it, that this article starts out by talking about a creator who basically caters to the um, desires of foot fetishists. Is that a word? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, I don't know. It's amazing. You can make money from anything on the internet, can't you? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, no, to answer your question more seriously, though, there's... Um, I'll I'll just read like a very small excerpt uh, where it says, Mm -hmm. 
In response, platforms that once paid little or nothing to creators are poning up. Companies need to either offer some way to monetize that content on platform, or they'll just become a promotional hub where these people essentially advertise the content that they're monetizing on other platforms. And this came from Josh Constine of Signal Fire, another venture capital a venture capital firm. And I thought that was really interesting because right now it just feels like a bunch of companies that are are trying to figure out or race to figure out the best way to incentivize creators to create exclusively on their platform. And by doing so, they're doing things like reducing their fees, right? Or taking <laughs> a smaller cut. And and I can't remember which one it was, but like maybe the first year they're taking like a 30% cut. And then the next year they're taking like a 15% cut. I thought that was really interesting because it's just, it starts to beg the question of like, why are you wanting to be a part of these companies or why is it important mm. for you to be exclusive, you know, for on the convert kit side of things, you know, we're, we're not racing to beat people on the lowest priced offer necessarily, maybe on our, our, on our commerce. Like we don't take large cuts out of a car. Yeah. We have very low fees on our commerce, but we're not saying like we're the cheapest email software creator platform that you can buy. Like we, we provide a lot of value, you know? So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen in the long term with exclusive mm-hmm. offers like Spotify. And a great example of that is um, Dak Shepard and, and Monica Padman's, uh, the armchair expert just released um, that they were going to be exclusive with Spotify just last week, I think. Yeah, that's been happening. Spotify is really out there scooping up podcasts. It's, yeah. it's interesting. I know that um, YouTube is doing this with gaming as well. Valkyrie is a gaming streamer who was like pretty popular on Twitch and... Mm-hmm. Um, she would upload then like replays to YouTube and YouTube got her on this exclusive deal where she streams on YouTube and she's like blowing the fuck up. I used our F-bomb for the episode. Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But she's like, and that was a great investment from YouTube, you know, to have her on the, on the platform because she's like the most famous female game streamer now, I would, I would say. Right. But yeah, as a creator myself, I'm like, okay, what would I do if Spotify came knocking and was like, we want Design Life, which is my other podcast, um, to be a Spotify exclusive? What would I say to that? You know, like what amount of money might I say yes to it with maybe is, right. is how I should phrase it. <laughs> well, I told you that we, before we we went live, I told you to stop talking because you were like giving up so much good information mm-hmm. that I wanted you to not, to remember to bring up when we actually started, you know, this discussion. Oh no. And have I forgotten it now? No, no, no. You were saying like, isn't <laughs> part of the, the reason that you want to be a creator is that you, you're not tied to anyone or any, you know, somebody telling mm-hmm. you what to do and how to create and what to create and when to produce it, you know, all the things. Um, is that you want the freedom to do things at your own pace and write content that you want to write. And a lot of this article talks about that is, um, you know, writers, you know, their their editors or publishers um, kind of controlling or dictating things that they write and then ultimately things that they share and or publish. And so I thought that was really interesting, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that as far as like, yeah, yeah. truly, what would it, what would it take, you know, in order mm. for you to give up some of that freedom? Yeah, totally. And the writers is, and journalists is an interesting point. That's why we're seeing this resurgence in newsletters, right? Because writers are like, oh, wait, you mean I can write whatever the heck I want and put it out to my audience instead of relying on like you editing it? that people are starting to see the value in building an audience for themselves, which I love. But yeah, Yeah. seeing this happen, seeing these exclusive deals and things, and which we might see more of if companies like Apple, for example, I don't think they're doing this, but if they 
the subscription fees they're allowing podcasters to charge. If it was like a um, an exclusive version of your show that you have on Apple, that's not Apple contracting you to produce the podcast exclusively for them, but it's you making that decision because of the um, like monetization options that Apple has available. I don't know. I think we're going to see more of this walled garden sort of effect. And um, as a creator, I like looking at it from afar, it does feel a bit weird because you become a creator because you want to work for yourself, right? Be in charge of your own content, your own time, not be held accountable to anyone but yourself really at the end of the day. And I know that if you sign a deal with Spotify or in the case of this gaming streamer on YouTube that I'm talking about, they have uh, minimums that they need to meet, right? Like she has to stream X amount per week. I'm sure the Spotify podcast, it's the same. Like they're not going to pay for your podcast if you take a two-month break from it, probably. You're going to be held more accountable. And it sort of just feels like now you're working for Spotify, in this situation. And yeah. now you're a Spotify employee, technically. You're on contract yeah. to them to fulfill some results. I don't know. It feels a bit weird. Um, yeah. There's this, uh, Noah just posted this. Companies have always been trying to portray themselves as the only the thing only on the thing web. Yeah. And I, I think this is a really big mistake. And the reason why I think this is a really big mistake is because if, if you, you know, if if you're a convert Kittian, I don't know if you use convert kit, <laughs> I don't know the best way to say it, whatever. If you use, if you're a creator who uses convert kit uh, and you attend or don't use convert kit, actually, that's a better way to say this. If you use MailChimp and you attend one of our webinars, right? One of the themes that you'll see across all of the content that we create is that we, while we do want you to use convert kit, it doesn't only apply to you using convert kit. Mm. You can take all of these things and we say like, it, this doesn't matter if you use MailChimp, if if you use Aweber, who like if you use Flowdesk, it's creating the value in in content creation, and which mm-hmm. I believe truly fuels the creator economy. And what I think ends up happening is we end up winning customers as a result of teaching people the value of email without explicitly saying you need to come use like we are better or come use ConvertKit. Mm-hmm. While we believe that, it's not this explicit thing that we're that we're saying, right? I would really like to see that with other companies as as well. I think that that like mm. is something that actually perpetuates the growth of the creator economy um, versus putting people into a situation where they're required to use one software, whether that for streaming or whether that for you know music or podcasts or whatever it is. I'd like to see everyone kind of unite to support the creator economy versus trying to you know position people to only be yeah to be the only because the reality yeah. is is that they're not. This goes back to the conversation that we had with Josh last week about the the absolute need to um, diversify your income streams. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's really important. And this maybe puts people in a position that are not creators that are earning millions of dollars, creators that are earning, you know, we'll say a livable wage, like maybe $100,000 a year, they're earning, you know, a living, but it puts them in a position to not be able to diversify their income as easily if this is the trend where we're going. Yeah. It sort of feels like you have to pick, right? You have to choose yeah. your platform and, and go all in on it. And I'm a big fan of spreading things out across across it all. That's part of the reason why I decided to do my live streaming on Twitch versus YouTube, because I was like, well, I think it's safer if I make sure that I'm not investing all my audience eggs in one basket. Yeah. But what this shows really though, like this fight to get creators to be exclusive on a platform 
it shows how valuable creators are, right? And it shows how much these companies need creators in order to be successful. Yes. Where creators have the bargaining power. Actually, there was a quote about that, wasn't there? Let me read it. There is, yeah. Have you got it? Go for it. As platforms fight over the most popular content, bargaining power is being transferred to the people who make it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, snaps to that. <laughs> I love that that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Miguel's here. You guys, Miguel is actually Hi, Miguel. here. <laughs> he's he's listening in. <laughs> Our regular host. And yeah, Ryan makes this point as well of that being exclusive on a platform kind of feels like you lose your sense of being unbiased as well. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It feels like, okay, now you work for Spotify because your podcast is exclusive on there. So you're only gonna, ever going to say good things about them. I don't know. For a lot of types of creators, that doesn't matter, but... For some, it could. You actually said that early in the, in our conversation. Same thing. So I was like, don't, don't, I want you to say that later. But you said, if you're exclusive to Spotify or you're exclusive to another, you know, service, it isn't that like you're an employee, right? And yeah. that's, that's the entire reason that you wanted to be a part of the creator economy, right? Is to have freedom and autonomy, your mm-hmm. own autonomy to be able to do what you wanted to do. And in theory, like, I don't know, is Dak Shepard and Monica Padman and Joe Rogan, are they officially employees of Spotify? You know, are they at their mercy? Kind of, but also like kind of not because their podcast, they have such an audience that they can go wherever they like, you know, like yeah. Another another platform would take them probably. Yeah, but I'm sure they signed a contract. There's no way they, I mean. I'm Yeah, I'm sure they signed a contract. Maybe like, okay, one thing I want to make sure that we're not coming across as here is that we're down on creators signing these deals yeah. and like getting paid because it's like, hell yes, creators, go and get paid. Yeah, You've got fair. Spotify offering you money and that's a good deal for you. Take that freaking money. I guess I just want there to be a way for creators to earn a living without it having to be these exclusive contract deals as the, yeah. the path forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The one, another thing that I thought was really interesting about this article um, is really like the snowball effect of how mm. all of these big companies are starting to essentially recognize the creator economy as something that's real, like that's, that's driving us forward. You know, you talked about Facebook um, adding in like a Substack or twi- Twitter purchased. Um, who did they buy? Review. They bought review. And then Facebook mm-hmm. is kind of doing the same thing to compete with Substack. And so we talked about all these really large companies, these, you know, billion dollar companies that are saying, oof, we need to recognize these, these creators and provide them additional value. Yeah. But that's definitely a, a an effect that you see happening pretty rapidly. Those honestly, for me, you know, as someone who is the creative director in an email marketing software company, it's exciting to me to see these giant social media platforms investing in email because it means that they're finally catching on to something that we all knew here at ConvertKit and probably all you people listening a long time ago, right? And is that there is value in email, there's value in having access to your own email list. I was surprised, actually, probably the one thing that was new to me in this article is that in Facebook's, you know, newsletter competitor, they are going to allow people to download their recipient list and take it with them, which is new. Like right now you can't like download all your Facebook contacts, email addresses to email them from a different platform, for example. I don't think anyway, I don't use Facebook, so I assume you can't do that. You can't with Twitter. I know that for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting to me. I especially loved how in this article they called out the value of essentially owning your audience, right? Like that Mm -hmm. was definitely, that was definitely a theme of this conversation. I'm really anxious to see how 
like Facebook, how everyone else supports that long-term that is not an email provider. If that is going Mm -hmm. to be the next thing, right? If that's going to come along with this. And we see this in the music space all the time, you know, where you have record labels who actually own the relationship, which is one of the reasons why we talk about musicians being so important that they, as the creator themselves, own their audience, right? Especially if they have a record label. So that way, should you choose to leave, you always, you you know, you have access um, to your audience. You're not cut off from your fans. Yeah, exactly. And Taylor Swift, you know, been a huge proponent of owning all things, right? Like whether that be like your art, your music rights, your relationship with your fans, But I thought that was really interesting and I really liked that specific call out and specifically the call out to these creators being tied to this algorithm, right? Like you have these Mm -hmm. large companies that are controlling the algorithm and then you have to change based on how they're presenting their content that content creators like, you know, Charlie D'Amelio, is that how you say her actual? It's D'Amelio. I think so. Yeah, Charlie D'Amelio. Yeah. You know how they're presenting her content up front because- yeah her audience because she's massive because she's huge. Mm -hmm. And which, you know, they, they, additionally in the article, they said, they talk quite a bit about that, about how, um, you know, some creators that are of a certain size, you know, they're making millions of dollars, but what about the rest of the creators that are fueling the creator economy that are contributing smaller amounts? They're contributing, you know, they might be making a few thousand dollars a month. Uh, versus, you know, the, the creator middle class. I think the article, we, we, we've talked about this a lot, but they call that quite a bit out in the article as well. Yeah. Maybe actually now I, I started off saying there was nothing new and now I'm about to call out the second new thing that I learned from this article, <laughs> but um, was that, uh, where was it? Let me just find it. For Spotify, only 3% of all the artists on Spotify make more than $1,000 per year from Spotify streaming. Yeah. 3%. I was like, that's a lot of musicians like struggling to make it, you know, that's tough. And I'm not seeing their songs on my recommended playlists and things like that. Um, I don't know if a solution to that, but it was surprising. <laughs> but that's this great, it feels like there's this great opportunity, right? As as these large companies, Spotify, Facebook, whoever, you know, are focusing on this, cre- the creator economy. It feels like an opportunity to lift up the creators that are creating wonderful content, but don't necessarily, it's like, I wish that that algorithm were based off of good quality content, you know, mm. obviously that's subjective. It's totally subjective. So that, that could be hard, but instead of just perpetuating the fuel and the growth of the Charlie D'Amelio's, which I think she's great and wonderful and self and deserving of it, you know, but I'd love to see these big companies perpetuating the growth of not just the creator middle-class, but also the creators that are doing things, you know, that, that aren't making a living wage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Something I found interesting about this article and the way it framed, you know, the relationship that platforms have with creators. And it talked about the platforms giving revenue to the creators, like rewarding them for the content they're putting on the platform. They talked about YouTube, how it gives a cut of ad revenue and things like that. But it also talked about Substack giving 90% of subscription revenue to creators. I was like, that's an interesting way to say that that Substack takes a 10% cut, talking about them giving 90%. Like that revenue absolutely wouldn't have been created for Substack if it weren't for this creator. On YouTube, people log on just to like browse videos and like maybe they'll click on that creators. So yeah, for sure. I understand the like talking about giving a percent of ad cut in that language, but I don't know. 
I had an issue with that, with that language around things. I was like, that's really interesting that that's the perception is that yeah. Substack is being kind and generous by giving 90% of the subscription revenue a creator earns back to them. <laughs> yeah, I did that. That's she says, moving one's email list away from Substack is simple. So the firm lets writers keep 90% of their revenues. Yeah. Let's them. Yeah. Oh, that's kind. Let's, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. And that the share of revenue creators can earn on a platform seems to depend on how easily they could leave it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. You know, like, um, if it's going to be easy for a creator to put this stuff elsewhere, um, you got to give them more money to, to have them stick around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting as well. Oh, we, this was kind of going back to what I was just talking about a moment ago about how ads can make megastars rich, but cannot provide a mm-hmm. living for small time foot goddesses and other niche creators. <laughs> foot goddesses. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and they were talking about that in relation to YouTube, but that was the quote that I was searching for that doesn't seem all that relevant anymore. Well, it's a great quote. You just yeah. want to read it out because of the foot goddess, didn't you? <laughs> yes. Well, Charlie goes, she's, uh, before we, before we went live, she's like, well, do we want to talk about the foot thing? And I was like, absolutely. We absolutely are going to talk about the foot thing where someone's selling their dirty socks for $10 a pair. I promise you, you don't want mine. Okay, wait, this actually brings up something else that I wanted to talk about is um, ways that we might see content platforms bend to offer more support or whatever to creators like money support, whatever. Because um, I will say that as a woman creating content publicly, you can guarantee that any woman out there creating content has had a message from someone asking for stuff like their dirty socks. Like you get gross stuff from people who are there when like, all respect to this woman who that is her thing. And she's like making money off it. Yeah. I'm not out here promoting myself doing that. So don't <laughs> fucking ask me for it. I do the second F-bomb, second but it F-bomb. was necessary. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Noah, I think, um, he, he posted in the comment, LOL, what? So I think he missed the first like two minutes, uh, of, of, of the foot fetish stuff, of the foot yeah. fetish. Yeah. But <laughs> if you read the article, the article opens up with, uh, a woman who is, uh, her niche is about her, her feet having very beautiful feet. And she actually earns a living uh, or earns maybe not quite a living, but, um, makes money on selling good money. Yeah. Good money on, on selling some socks, dirty socks. Socks, yep. unused socks, $10 uh, per day. Per day worn. Yeah, per day worn. <laughs> that is our promo for this woman. <laughs> socks. But what yeah. I, my point is that um, I think that if, if platforms are wanting creators to create on their platform, money is just one way they can attract that. Another way they can um, make that happen, especially for women creators, for creators in marginalized groups as well, is to make it like a really safe and supportive environment for them, themselves and their audience. Yeah. More tools for managing managing content and for like just not receiving that kind of message. Like, you know, yeah. unwanted advances uh, are rife on any yeah. platform that you're creating on. And that's a way that I would like to see platforms, um, yeah, change to support creators more is realizing that when someone gets a lot of attention, it comes with both good and bad attention too. Yeah. That, that's a really great point. Yeah. What else really stood out to you from this article? I really liked the point about um, celebrity and how that has changed. That's something that I've been thinking about for quite a while now, thinking like, yeah, I don't know if kids, you know, in primary school or high school right now have like a favorite celebrity. They probably have a favorite creator, you know? Yeah. And they talked about how Jennifer Aniston and her buddies were in people's sitting rooms for half an hour a week 
watching a Friends episode, but Charlie D'Amelio is in their, in their pockets, pockets all day long. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just a really great point that we have this creators are the new celebrities, right? They're not only the the new new economy, they're the new celebrity as well. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how big this thing has gotten. <laughs> it's kind of weird that um you know, like a Jennifer Aniston type just always felt like she was on another level, you know, like completely different part of the world, elevated human. Whereas these creators, you see their lives and you see that they are normal people as well as being the elevated human as well. Yeah. I think we talked about that when we had an early episode um, and we talked quite a bit about Charlie D'Amelio and her, just the appeal of her being a normal person, right. Mm -hmm, And not mm -hmm. feeling like she was a celebrity. What I think is really interesting is watching all of the celebrities monetize their, well, I'd say take their celebrity and apply it to this model and then have yes. massive success. That is how pr- strong the creator economy is, is yeah. that celebrities want to get in on it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're realizing that there's so many other ways that they can monetize their brand, you know, their personality mm-hmm. outside of just, you know, being a slave to a production company and, you know, television shows and whatnot. And Dak Shepard is a wonderful example of that. Another really good example of that is um, the Office Ladies podcast, Jenna and yep. is it and well, Angela? Angela, but no, but it's both her name and her character's name. Oh yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I was yeah, uh, Jenna and Angela, and then uh, the article also calls out um, who's the other Office? Uh, da, 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 Brian Brian uh, Baumgartner. Baumgartner, yeah, an actor on the Office, an American sitcom, was the top earner last year, making over a million dollars on the platform, uh, cameo cameo, right? Yeah. Which I thought yeah. was really interesting. Cause you have these celebrities, yeah, that are applying that, um, to the, this model and it's being it's obviously working. <laughs> yep. That cameo was another one where they said they give the celebrity 75% and I'm like, okay, that feels like cameo is taking a big cut there, but okay, right. if we want to talk about it that way around, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give them a, let's love, love that language. Love that language. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if another way that we'll see platforms and maybe they're already doing it and I just haven't realized, but we'll see platforms change to support the creator economy is to be creating creators themselves. Let me explain what I mean by that. Like okay, a platform could decide who the next Charlie D'Amelio is. Yes. Right. Like creator superstar creators can be made just like we have, you know, we had manufactured, pop groups, you know, where they'd hold auditions and bring them all together um, to create music acts, a platform could decide, okay, we want a creator who believes in this sort of thing, makes content about this sort of thing, is from this background. Let's find the right person, give them the training to make this stuff, put the ad spend behind them, put them in all the algorithm so that everyone's seeing them. Boom. Superstar creator is created. Maybe that is happening already and I'm just not aware of it yet. But I have a feeling that's going to be probably a thing that comes out over the next few years is that sort of stuff happening. Gosh, what are those qualifications? What do you mean qualifications? You know, like when when uh, Spotify or TikTok or someone, they're like, all right, we're looking for the next Charlie D'Amelio. Mm. We want her to, or him, yep, you yep, know, yep. or non-binary them, them yep. to, uh, you know, hit all of these, these specific boxes. And yep. yeah, wonder what those qualifications are going to look like. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could do it, right? That's how the power that platforms have when we put our content on them, they can decide if to make or break it if they Mm -hmm. choose to, you know, for the most part, there's so much happening that a platform isn't paying attention to any one specific creator a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a smaller creator, but that's a choice that they have and that they could decide to do if they wanted to. 
which is interesting. I'm curious because they referenced the creator uh, middle class here. They also referenced like the mega rich, right? Like the Lily Sings or Charlie D'Amelio's, you know? So like when you break up the creator economy into classes, how how do you do it? Because first, certainly if the creator middle class is making $100,000, right? But the, you know, the mega rich creators, the Dak Shepherds of the world, the Lily Sings, like, and, you know, all the others that are making, you know, we'll say- you know, multiples of Mm -hmm. millions of dollars. How do you actually break up that creator middle? Like, how do you identify all the different buckets within the creator economy? Yeah. And like, where do the platforms want to invest in that? Yeah. Because I could see, and I think perhaps we are already seeing it to a point that um, a creator, once they reach that superstar status, even though you're still seeing them in their home and all that, they just aren't as relatable as they were when they had like the 10,000 followers, for example, and people were finding them then. I've felt that happen for myself, honestly, with some creators that I follow. Once they, you know, became mega rich, their lives and the things they were doing just weren't as relatable anymore. And that's why I enjoyed watching them to start with. And so then I moved on and I found people who were at that lower level. So it's sort of like a a double-edged sword in a way. It's like, and I think that's what a lot of creators are trying to hold on to as they do reach that mega rich level. I don't think Dax Shepard is worried about this. I don't think he's worried about coming across as relatable or not, you know? <laughs> you know what's funny is that Dax Shepard, if I had to pick one celebrity that I feel is like the most relatable celebrity that I pay attention to, honestly, I it would probably be Dax Shepard. <laughs> I feel like I could walk up to that guy at a coffee shop and just give him a hug. I don't know why I feel like that. Maybe not give him a hug, but just like I'd be not right now. Yeah, yeah. I'd just be comfortable walking up to him and be like, hey man, I'm I really like your content, or just like have a normal mm-hmm. conversation. He feels normal to me. And I think that okay. that is Dak Shepard's appeal. Whereas let's say there are a lot of celebrities that I would absolutely never do something like that too. Yep. But he's, he's one of those. And I think that's why he's so successful. Yep. I think that's the same exact reason why Charlie D'Amelio is successful is because they feel, you know, he's from like the, he's from Iowa, you know, and he's just like an Iowa kid living in Los Angeles and his podcast studio. He's, he's in like a, like not a nice podcast studio upstairs in a basement with like a really crappy Barca lounger that he just loves. Like he just feels normal. And I love that. But also I'm like, is he talking about that stuff so that he comes across as relatable to you and his audience, you know, like, cause that's something I've seen the um, creators reach the superstar level do is they're not posting about the way that their life has changed and like the amazing things they can afford now and that sort of thing so much. They're still trying to make sure they post the more relatable side of things. I don't know. He was like that when he launched his podcast and he was famous already. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah. I I get it. Also, you're a fan. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you're right though. Like as I think about celebrities, I'm like, yeah, I would, I listen to the Office Ladies podcast and I love it. I listen to the Scrubs podcast and I love it. Yeah. And those actors feel more approachable to me because I've heard them have conversations with each other rather than just seeing them acting and like putting on a character in a film. So absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. It does that. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoy um, reading articles and then talking about them. I'd love to hear from uh, the folks in the chat. If you guys also agree, I'm really working. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys, if, if everyone agrees. And if you want to see more like this and if you want to suggest articles to us as well, like if you come across something that you read about the creator economy and you're like, 
I wonder what Charlie, Haley, and Miguel think about this. And yes. feel free to tweet it at us. We don't have a Twitter account for the Future Belongs to Creators podcast, but you could just tweet at ConvertKit and we will ensure that we see it. Or you should also tweet at me because, like I said, I'm practicing. I'm <laughs> okay. working on it. And so tweet at me, at ConvertKit, and at me, and at Char- Charlie will definitely see it. But. And you can't just tweet at me. You have to tweet at Haley Janice. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's Janny, Janny, J-A-N-I. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. That sounds good. Do that and recommend some articles and we'll keep doing this because you're right. This was super fun. Yeah. Thanks for chatting it through with me, Haley. Oh, I love Roberto Blake, Melanie. He would be a great guest. I'm sorry. I just saw yes. that comment right right there at the end. We will also take suggestions of guests. That yes. sounds great too. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. All right, friends. <laughs> well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.